Welcome to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. Teen Financial Freedom is a personal finance blog run by teens who are on a mission to equip their peers with the knowledge, resources, and understanding they need to become financially free for the rest of their lives. All right, everybody. It's me, Chase, here today with Harry. We're going to be going over stocks and bonds and investing. We're going to be talking about stock market's been going crazy recently. I, for one, have been having a little bit of FOMO when I look at the stock market because I haven't been big in stocks and bonds up until just recently. So I'm really excited to be talking about this today with Terry. Terry, how are you doing today, man? Are you feeling good, doing good? How's the day, man? Yep, doing well. Just got out of class a little while ago and um, I probably will take a nap after this and then just study for the rest of the day. So I've got a super exciting day ahead well, of me. I want to take a nap, man. <laughs> I never get those. To be honest, I this is probably the highlight of my day talking about stuff that I actually care about. So I wanted to start this episode just kind of going over your background in investing, my minimal background in investing, so people know who's talking about this stuff and know that they can at least trust us to have an opinion on stock and bonds investing. So I'll start by saying that I don't really have that much of a history with stocks and bonds or any of this stuff. I should stop saying stocks and bonds. It sounds so generic. Um, I don't have a whole big history of investing in the stock market. The majority of what I've done has just been a parent account that was set up for me a couple years ago that I've slowly siphoned savings into. Mm-hmm. That has My parents chose the stocks. I wasn't even sure what they were until, were until recently when I actually went in and looked. Big surprise, it was stuff like Apple and Microsoft and Facebook. Nice. So I did have that investing history there, but it's not like I was actively managing or picking my own stocks, but I did have the benefit of seeing some appreciation, some return on the money that I was slowly investing over the past yeah. couple of years. Better so, than a savings account. Exactly. Better than a savings account. Better than a checkings account even, yep. you know, because yep. I have a friend who keeps all his money in a checking account. But Ouch. So I recently started getting a lot of FOMO looking around at – not only the stock market, but cryptocurrencies, which we'll cover in a later later episode. But I decided mm-hmm. that I wanted to take a more active role in my investing journey. I wanted to start choosing my own stocks, really get in it, un- understand what the world of investing is about, because I know all too many people who don't have a clue what's happening. So yeah. that's how we're end up here today. So Terry, can head us with your background? Sure. So basically, I've said this probably a million times before and throughout blog posts and podcasts, but I basically got started in the finance kick around 12 or 13 years old and i started reading money master the game by tony robbins Mm -hmm. and a book by the motley fools i forget what the book was called it's something about like break all the rules of investing or something like first break all the rules interesting books the motley fool one was a little hard for me to understand at 13 the tony robbins one was pretty good too um, but it was also pretty heavy. All that said, that was kind of how I started to get interested in stocks at a young age. Right. And obviously at 13, even Chase, as you will probably share later, at 16, you're well aware of the difficulties of setting up and managing your investments as a oh minor. I it's It was my number one pet peeve for years until I turned 18, uh, just a few months ago. And that was glorious, uh, being able to set up my own things without having to worry about you know, custodial <laughs> accounts and stuff. It just... Yeah, it's it's so much easier. But all that said, I got started at a younger age. This was also kind of how I started introducing my parents more into the finance world as well. But I put, I had like 500 bucks in savings and I threw it into, I think we just called our bank and had them help us set up an account for me. It was some kind of like um, youth, 
It wasn't even a Roth IRA or an IRA. It was just some kind of like youth brokerage account set up with my bank. And the guy on the phone just helped us put it into a generic fund. And I was like, I was brand new to this world. So I didn't know anything. And it's like, right. all right, let's just go with that. And a few years later, I'm looking more into the, the fund he put me in. And it was basically like the return of a uh, savings account. Um, I don't know what kind of fund he had me in. It was for like old retiring people. And I was like, why am I in this? I've got decades in the stock market. I should not be this conservative. Mm -hmm. And I think my money didn't even go up. Like it just didn't lose money, Ooh. but it didn't even go up either. And so just like two, three years of kind of just wasted value just sitting in that fund was aggravating. Nice. That's how I got started though. Then around the age of 13 or 14, I'm getting, I'll probably get my dates a little muddled here, but somewhere at a younger age, when I first started, I got started with that fund in the bank account or like the bank investment fund or whatever it was. Mm -hmm. And then I set up a Roth IRA with TD Ameritrade. Uh, that was an interesting process going like printing out the paperwork and then filling it out and then mailing it back in or like uploading it through an email to TD Ameritrade and getting it all set up, set up. But eventually I did. And once I did, I could start picking my own funds. Mm -hmm. And it was around this time that I started to learn about individual stock picking as well. Uh, and I started to learn from a guy named Phil Town, who runs a company called Rule Number One Investing. And Rule Number One Investing is all based off of Warren Buffett's Rule Number One, don't lose money. Rule Number Two, don't forget Rule Number One. That's kind of like uh, one of the things Warren Buffett's really known for is those two rules. Rule Number One, don't lose money. Yep. Rule Number Two, don't forget it. Don't forget Rule Number One. And so this guy, Phil Town, created the whole company and content um, education company based off of Warren Buffett's investment strategy and he just taught it to other people. So I've got a little paper here in front of me we'll reference later about I'm going to breeze over the general analysis strategy for stocks that he taught and I just really liked. I went through the stock analysis on a few individual stocks myself but I never pulled the trigger and invested in one at the time. Uh, I can get into why later. I ended up just going with an index fund at some point. Uh, my money was sitting there and I was like, I'm starting to get busier and busier. I'm, I might not have time to keep up with all this individual stock stuff, I, but I don't want my money just to sit there at a standstill and be eaten away by inflation. So I decided just to put it into a basic index fund and um, that's done That's that's done well. So I'm glad I, I did do that a few years ago. And I, I already shared some of the returns and the results with Chase previously, but I think it was something like a few years ago, I put, I don't know, what was it, like a couple hundred bucks in and like 500 bucks into an index fund and it's now like 750 um yeah. something like that or Solid return nearly a thousand i forget it's 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 a decent return it's like nearly a 50 to 100 percent return which is a lot better than you'll ever get in a savings account nowadays um if, i'm gonna turn it back over to chase here in a second but in case you guys aren't aware essentially why uh, it was such a big deal to put my money to work in some way is because there's basically if you're keeping your money in a checking account um, like the friend Chase was mentioning earlier, there's two things you might not be aware of that are eating away, for the cat just knocked the folder down, um, that are eating away at your money. And one is um, inflation, and the other thing is because you're not earning a return, I guess it's really just the main, mainly inflation that's eating away at your money, but because you're, you don't have a return to counteract that, you're just steadily losing money. Each year, you keep the significant amount of your net worth in something like a savings account. A savings account only pays you like 0.001% or like 0.1%. It's like less than 1% return per year or something like that. I don't know. So like a thousand bucks might make you like a dollar or $10 in, in a year, which is terrible considering that um, you'll lose much, much more than that in, in inflation. So by putting into something basic like the stock market, if I didn't 
have the time to keep up with individual stocks that at least kept me above inflation. So that's the whole quick gist of why it was important to me to put my money to work. Yeah, so like Terry said, inflation is 2.29% per year currently. Like across right. the past 10 years, it's been about 2.3% a year. So if you were to just leave your money in a savings account, let's just say it was like $100, you'd be losing 2.3% per year, which mm -hmm. doesn't seem like a lot, but as you add up the amount of cash that is, you will end up losing a lot of money over an extended period of time, especially if you do nothing. Like, altogether, too many people just leave their money in their savings account for years, like mm -hmm. for 10, 15, 20 years, and they will lose thousands of dollars to inflation. You don't, you never actually lose money. Your, your money is just valued at less. Right. Um, that's that's a key distinction. Yes. The number is not going to go down, but the value of what that money can buy will decrease year exactly. by year. Exactly. Like like how at the local business that I work out work at prices on everything went up by a dollar this year so you know that's it's a great example it was a long time coming but inflation is going to be one of the biggest dangers to your money if you're not investing so which is why i wanted to talk to terry today about getting my money into an investment account because the one that i got from my parents i want to take a more active role so right. terry can you just go over basic investing philosophy you kind of covered it with the warren buffett make money don't lose money or, or don't lose money rule number two don't forget rule number one right um but how can someone go about even getting into like an index fund that they could put mm. their money into before we get into individual stock picking sure how does someone open an account with an index fund so the there's two general accounts you can use to get started for investing in an index fund specifically and once you're into an index fund or a a specific stock or even a bond, I guess you're officially in the investing world. You're officially in the market. And you can't really buy a stock or index fund with a regular checking or savings account. So this takes right. a unique investing account that's called like a brokerage account. And there's two general categories. I'm just going to simplify it way down. There's two general different types of investment accounts you can do or you can open. There's a retirement one. The most common ones are um, an IRA or a Roth IRA. Um, essentially, the IRA, you're paying taxes um, I guess how it is, is you put your money in now and you don't have to pay taxes on it. But when you withdraw it years later in, in retirement, you pay taxes on it then. The Roth IRA is the exact opposite. When you put your money in, you're paying taxes on it today. But when you withdraw it years later in retirement, you don't have to pay any taxes. So those are the two IRAs and those are just generally retirement long-term investing accounts because there's usually penalties for withdrawing early, um, withdrawing funds early. Then there's the second type of investment account, which is just your standard brokerage account. And um, that doesn't have any tax advantages like the other two IRAs do, um, but those let you get involved in the stock market. A standard, some companies that offer standard brokerage accounts, brokerage investment accounts are like Schwab, TD Ameritrade, Robinhood, Webull, a bunch of others. And all of those usually, all those companies usually offer IRAs as well. So to get started with just the basics of investing, like an index fund, and I'll explain what that is in a second. You would usually just pick a company that a company of your choice or a, a brokerage company of your choice specifically. And most people go, if you're under the age 18, by the way, most kids or teens, minors uh, will go with a company that their parents already have an account set up with. So like Chase specifically, his fidelity. So he's yeah. setting up a fidelity youth account. That's the simplest route to take. Um, however, if you're 18 um, or your parents don't have a preference, um, then you can just pick a company of your choice. Um, we've got some recommendations on our site. There's a bunch of blog articles out there comparing pros and cons of each. I'm not going to get into that here. And there's um, endless but essentially, too. 
Oh yeah, of course. So there's there's millions of options out there that you can pick from. But once you've chosen your your company and you set up an account with them, what you do is you essentially just pick the type of funds or stocks or investments you want to get into. Um, a few years ago, what I got into was just an in, basic S&P 500 index fund. And that type of fund essentially matches the, or invests in the top 500 biggest companies in the US, the S&P 500. And that's kind of like the, what would you call it? Like the gold standard of the stock market. Yeah. When people refer to the stock market, they're referring to the S&P 500, the 500 biggest companies in the US. It's, yeah, it's usually used, like you said, the gold standard. Whenever someone right. talks about the returns that they're making, they always compare it to the performance of the S&P 500. Right. So like if you put $100 in there, I don't don't actually know what the numbers are, but it, so it's something around 13% usually, the S&P mm -hmm. 500, I don't know. But people will say, I you'd make, if you had 100 bucks, you'd make 13% return on the S&P 500, but right. X portfolio got 17% return as compared to the 13% of right. the S&P 500. And so that's how people generally compare if their individual investing or their alternative investing strategy is outperforming the average market. So they're comparing it to the S&P 500. Some, some like it's, it's a hotly debated topic on what exactly the S&P's average is. Some say 8%, some say 10%, some say 13%, whatever it is. Generally, it's around in that range, eight to a little over 10%. So give or take a few percentage points, that's essentially S&P 500. Now, the interesting thing about the index fund is that even professional investment gurus, investing gurus like Warren Buffett, legendary investor known for making multiple, multiple, um, multiples on his his own portfolio and the other investors that invested with him, uh, he's one of the world's richest people, made billions. Even he has said that after he dies and is leaving different amounts of wealth to different people, like friends and family, or uh, nonprofits. I mean, essentially, just the way he, the the number one strategy he would recommend is using an index fund because the vast majority of mutual funds and professional hedge funds and and individual investors cannot outperform the S and P five hundred uh, due to emotions and fees and a bunch of taxes and a bunch of other factors. And this could be a whole one hour podcast of its own. Essentially, it's quite proven that the average person cannot outperform the S&P 500. So rather than, you know, as I previously mentioned, I noticed I would be, the, the amount of time it would take for me to start getting into that world um, wasn't something I was ready to commit to. So I would rather just put it into the S&P 500, which, yeah. which will honestly outperform most professional investors who let emotions get in the way and there's taxes and fees like I already mentioned. Mm -hmm. So all that said, I just picked a Vanguard fund. Vanguard is known as one of the uh, legends in the index fund space. Jack Bogle, I believe, was the, was the guy who founded... Was it Jack Bogle? I, I might have my I'm names mixed up. The, the guy who founded Vanguard, which I'm pretty sure is Jack Bogle, mm -hmm. is one of the guys who popularized index funds in the investing world. And he's just known for having like a no-nonsense approach to investing, and his fees are ridiculously low. Um, yep. So it's one of the safest easiest ways to get into the investing world. And I just Googled here the S&P uh, 500 Vanguard Index Fund. And there's a bunch of different tickers you can use. I'm seeing VOO, which I'm invested in. Uh, looks like there's also VFINX. Those are two tickers for uh, Vanguard funds that mirror the S&P 500. Right. So I thought it was a really long ramble, but hopefully it all makes sense to you guys. Essentially, the very 
bare bones of getting into the investing world. You pick an investment company you want to work with. You choose whether you want a tax advantage IRA account or Roth IRA, or whether you just want a basic brokerage account, and then you choose what kind of investments you want to get into. If you want to start easy, just pick a Vanguard index fund like the yep. VOO. This is a ticker. If you just punch in VOO into Google, it'll pop up the returns and the chart and all that. So with that, Chase, on to your next questions. <laughs> yeah, and so for anyone who's listening, honestly, the easiest way to do this is to probably go to your parents who hopefully have an investment account of their own. You can open a kid's account underneath whatever company they're working with. That's what I'm planning to do with my parents. It was just convenient for me. If not, you might have to get them to open their own own investment account and then open a kid uh, child account for you. They don't necessarily have to put in any money into anything, but as long as they have the account with the company, you can open a youth account. I have looked into that. Um, my next question is like, so obviously there are index funds, which is if, if you're not investing, it's the easiest and fastest way to get into the market, like Terry said. So really, really do that, which is why I'm trying to quickly transition all of my stuff into index funds. But when it comes to picking individual stocks, how do I go about doing that? And then how inside of an account itself, how do I actually go about purchasing those individual stocks? Mm. So I know I said it earlier, the vast amount of the vast majority of people, even professionals, can't outperform the S&P 500 reliably right. over the long term, long term for decades, um, right. which is why even Warren Buffett himself has said that he's a huge proponent of index funds. He there's a really popular bet he took that professional hedge fund managers could not outperform his investment. I think I think it was either his personal investments or more accurately, I think it was his investment in an in index fund. They took like a 10 year bet. And the winner would donate like a bunch of money to charity or something. It was a cool bet. But if you want to learn more about it, pick up uh, Anthony Robbins, Tony Robbins, Money Master the Game book to read more about that. That said, there are people like Warren Buffett, like Phil Town, like these other unique professionals that have found ways to outperform the S&P 500 reliably using specific strategies. Um, I'm going to caveat, I'm going to share what that is exactly a brief overview. Um, but I'm going to caveat it by saying it's not a get rich quick scheme. Um, it's not a fast way to make a million bucks. Um, it takes a lot of work, a lot of effort, a lot of education, which yeah. is why I put the pause button on it, realizing my life was revamping and getting busier in these other areas. I was going to come back to it later. Um, but I wasn't going to do it half heartedly and trade off of emotion. Um, because right. the three big killers to your investment strategy, to your returns, are taxes, fees, and most importantly, emotions or lack of strategy, a lack of a cool-headed plan um, so if you don't have those three things under control and you're well versed in all three areas uh, of those areas then you're probably gonna get killed one way or another in the in the stock picking world I guess I should say right all of that said if you are genuinely interested in getting to um, stock valuations and individual stock investing um, I've already mentioned his name before but Phil town of rule number one investing is the guy I learned from he's got a YouTube channel with a bunch of videos super easy to understand He's got a free webinar, potentially a free book online as well, a podcast. There's like bunches of different ways you can go learn more about the strategy. But he essentially teaches um, four M's is what he calls it, four M's of investing. And there are four general categories that you want to pay attention to when you're picking a stock to make sure you're picking something that's fun, good company. So a common mistake people make is they look at a stock chart and they just see if it's up or down. 
and then try to decide if, if this is a good company and if they can make money, blah, 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 and they'll jump in and out purely off of emotion, which is like right. the quickest way to lose money. Yeah. Um, you'll often fall tr fall into the trap of looking at a stock that has already started to run and make a bunch of money and then jump in near the top. Because you're like, oh, this, this thing's making money. I'm going to jump in and make money too. FOMO, fear of missing out. Yep. And by doing that, you're the sucker um, because you're you're buying from the guys who bought you know, months earlier and are basically selling to you who are afraid of missing out. And then, of course, you're going to be the one writing that all the way back down to its zero. Um, its true value, essentially. Um, if the stock is worthless, then its true value is zero. Like you said, you know, you would write it back down to zero. You lose all your money. But hopefully that's not the case. You're not investing in stocks that have truly no value. The thing that's hard for people emotionally when investing is it's hard for them to look at a stock chart that is completely red like say it's just gotten beaten down into the ground and it's lost 50 percent of its money earth lost 50 percent of its stock price over the past couple months it's hard for you to look at that and think oh this is a good investment without analyzing some underlying factors and so those four factors a uh, real brief overview are here it is four m's meaning moat management margin of safety i'm gonna explain what each of those mean meaning means understanding the company, understanding what it does, how it does it, and its business model. Warren Buffett is very vocal about not investing in things he doesn't understand, which is why for years he never touched Apple, even though Apple's a really great company, super strong fundamentals, made an incredible return for investors. He never touched it because he was sticking to his rule of I'm not going to invest in what I don't understand. Because if you invest in what you don't understand, you're gonna get burned really easily because you're not gonna know what's happening. Uh, when news comes out about your company, you're going to be like, wait, what's this thing mean? How is this going to affect it? Um, so first off, you need to find something that you understand. And Phil Town often teaches that you do this by looking at your passions. Um, if you love movies, if you love, uh, if you're a Star Wars nerd, then maybe Disney is one of the companies you look into because you understand its business well. You consume its products a lot. Warren Buffett is really famous for investing in Coke. And he owns Dairy Queen and Geico, which is, you know, food and insurance. Those are things he can understand. So meaning is really important. If you're, there's thousands of stocks out there to pick from. And of course, starting off, you're going to be really overwhelmed. Like, oh my goodness, like, which one do I even pick? So usually where you start is by finding what's meaningful to you. What do you have an understanding of? And what kind of companies operate in the spaces that you can begin to look at? Right. So that's the first M, meaning. The second one is moat. And moat has four different um, maybe it's five. Moat has there's five different moats a company can have. One is a brand moat, and let me backtrack a little bit. Um, I'm sure as you guys know though, a moat is essentially that giant trench built um, way back in the medieval days around a castle to protect it. Right. Um, the idea here is what kind of moat, what kind of protection does what a company sets the have? Company apart. Right. What sets what sets the company apart exactly? So there's five general moats. Um, one is brand. One is price. One is secrets, like uh, intellectual secrets. The fourth one is toll. And the fifth one is switching moat. And I'm going to try to remember all these off the top of my head because it's been a while since I've looked at this. Brand, pretty obvious. Something like Apple or Coke. Nike. I, Nike, right. You know, you buy those products because they've got a really popular brand. It means something. So even though there might be an objectively cheaper, more feature-rich Android phone out there, you buy Apple because the brand means something to you. The second one, price, um, maybe something super cheap, and it's just its price is objectively better 
than all of its competitors. And so they've got like price mode. Walmart, for example, um, can beat out a lot of big box stores because their prices are so good. Um, secrets would be something like, um, I don't know. I'm not super well versed here, but maybe something like Intel or some other company with specific secrets to how they create their products. Probably Coke's um, recipe would be a considered exactly. secret mode. Um, so Coke can have multiple modes. They can have a brand mode and a secrets mode. But secrets the, mode is more difficult to know when first you right. get stock. Like right. usually you're only as an insider, like as a member of the company maybe, are you, or you know, you know someone who's a member of a company, are you really gonna know secrets or something like that? Right. Yeah, it would be it would be very rare for you to know exactly what it's um, what a company's secret moat is, but yeah. you can you can be aware of if there is one. So, for example, like all of us don't know what Coke's secret recipe is, but we know that Coke has a secret recipe. Therefore, it has a secret moat, even though we don't know exactly what it is. Um, we just know it's its proprietary formula recipe, whatever you want to call it. So, those are three popular moats. The fourth and fifth one, toll and switching. So, toll. It's obviously referring to like a toll on a highway. I'm trying to remember the exact analogy here for it. <laughs> yeah. Because it's been so long since I looked at this. Essentially, I think it's something about like fees for switching. So some banks and brokerage, brokerage investment companies out there might charge like 50 bucks or 100 bucks if you switch your Roth IRA to a different company. Like there will right. be a fee, essentially a toll, a tax for you leaving them. So that can also be considered a moat for keeping customers within their company and keeping them from leading them, right? right? The last one is, um, I lost it here, switching mode. That essentially is something like Apple. Apple uh, has a really great switching mode because it's incredibly painful to leave the Apple ecosystem. Once you're in the Apple ecosystem, sure. you're in it for good. Like, you know, you're using the iPhone, you're using their MacBooks, you're using the Apple TVs and um, all the different Apple Watches, iPods. What's the name of that super popular ear earbud? AirPods. AirPods, that's right. Why can't I think of that? I'm ashamed I forgot the name. There's but, new um, AirPods coming out, man. Did you really? see that they added a third volume level to their already existing two? Okay. I kudos to them. I won't buy it. But, it's $300. Uh, <laughs> so, remember those definitely... ones that came, you remember those ones that came out a year ago that only had two volume modes? Now yeah, there's yeah. three. Now those are obsolete. You want to you you pay, yeah, you want, you want pay 300 bucks for our new, our new pair? Yeah. Essentially, the switching mode is what Apple has. Once you're in the Apple ecosystem, you're probably not going to leave. There's a bunch of companies out there with this type of switching mode. Um, Apple's one that comes to mind. There's probably some in industrial commerce or whatever. I would imagine if you're a big kitchen or a cafeteria and you're using a specific brand of dishwasher, they might have a switching mode where it's difficult to switch to other equipment that you're not used to. So there's different. those are the five general modes. Um, and then... Mark. Moving on, so we've covered the first two M's. Management. Meaning and man sorry, meaning and moat. And then the last two are management and margin of safety. Management's pretty self explanatory. Um, what are their executives like? What is the CEO like? Does he know his company? Has he been in the space for a while? Um, is he honest? Is he humble? Um, Good to Great is a book, fantastic book for reading more and learning more about executives and CEOs who are truly putting their company first because there are plenty of star CEOs out there who might seem like great fellows um, but in reality they're extremely greedy and operating in their own self-interest and so they're going to drive the company into the ground so good to great it's a great book to look into that you can learn more about management in particular and what you're looking for through Phil Town's content
Last, last M we're going to cover here is margin of safety. Margin of safety essentially is analyzing the price you want to buy into a stock. So if you've picked a stock that has meaning to you and that you understand, and you've right. analyzed it, it has solid moats in place, like there's actual strategic um, value to this company, and it's got a good leader, and it's got good executives and good management, um, then you're just moving on to... So once you've analyzed those four M's, you know that this company is solid. Um, there's there's a lot of things that can happen to a company's stock price, regardless of its fundamentals. It'll go up and down um, based purely off of emotion, because that's basically how the stock market works. It's a bunch of investors buying and selling stock, mostly off of emotion. Some are actually doing analysis and buying it low and selling it high like they should be. Um, but now you're moving on to the fourth M, and this is usually the one a lot of people focus on without focusing on the previous three. And so margin of safety. Margin of safety means where are you buying, what price level are you buying this stock at? So it essentially, you're going through some key numbers here. I'm gonna read some of them off. There's EPS, TTM, future growth rate, future EPS in 10 years, estimated future PE ratio in five to 10 years, future value in 10 years. There's like, you're not gonna remember all these, that's okay. I would highly recommend looking up Phil Towns content for the for the exact formula and what it does but those are a few key numbers you're pulling out to analyze the financial health of a company and using that formula it tells you what the fair price for this company is so i'm gonna pick a random company like chipotle and we're just going to say based on its numbers its financial health its fair price is 50 bucks okay if its stock price is 75 bucks right now this company might be fantastic but it's overpriced so i'm not going to buy into it uh, this would be a time when I would put that company like Chipotle on my watch list and I would wait for it to have a downturn. And then if I'm looking and it's, I've analyzed that it's fair value is 50 bucks per share and its current price is 30, then I'm like, hey, that's a pretty good deal. Um, I should have picked a round number like 100 so I could do the easy math because I'm not going to sit here and scribble on a note or scribble on a piece of paper trying to do math here. But um essentially whatever percentage of a discount $30 is compared to 50 um what is that like a 40% discount i i don't know man i'm pulling that out of thin air i'm thinking My it's like, like 40% discount ride from calculus okay yeah um essentially it's a good deal you can invest in that and assume that that company is going to return to its fair value at some point in the near future and then you can sell it at its fair value and have made a 40% return, which is obviously much higher than the S&P 500. That's the essentially the whole principle to value investing. You're finding strong companies that are undervalued and you're investing in them at undervalued prices and selling them at their fair valued or slightly overvalued prices and making a significant return. But if you don't do your homework, like we've talked about, then it's complete guesswork. You're just gambling at the stock market. You're just pulling out, you know, Apple seems like a pretty good company. I'm gonna invest in that. But you have no idea if it's overpriced. You have no idea of its financial health, if its current leaders are solid, of its future strategy, of its current moats, all these things that are critical to invest in. So let me, let me, let me toss out an example here, Terry, a Co company that I've been looking at a lot. Okay. It's called Cardio Therapeutics. It is a drug and um, it's a drug company. Yeah, looking at your four M's here, we have meaning, moats, management, margin of error, right? So margin looking... Safety. Yep. Margin of safety. Um, looking at meaning, 
I've always been very interested in drug companies for some reason. Don't ask me why. But like, for example, when when J and J, I I Loki wanted to invest in J and J when the COVID pandemic first started because yep. I saw how well positioned they were to deal with what was coming at us. Right. Wish I had. They've done fantastic. But I've mm-hmm. always been interested in drug companies. So there's my meaning. Now, Moats Cardiol Therapeutics is a. They are working on a pill. A med- it's not a pill. It's a medication for at risk. Um, heart patients, people who yeah. are at risk of heart disease, heart attacks, heart failure, yeah. etc., that has been showing a lot of success. Mm-hmm. Um, they're one of the only companies in this space who is developing a drug like that, and they are doing it quickly. So that's their moat. They definitely have some secret there right. that no one else is able to crack. So that's one big moat. They don't necessarily have the brand, but I think given time that they could. I would say the only two drug companies with brands would probably be like Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, because like yeah. m- most people when they're going but, to buy medicine aren't necessarily yeah, buying strictly yeah, off the brand. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, um, so moat that, that one's gonna be hard to come by, but that hits a moat. I don't know if there's any other, others that I should be looking at, but I'm just going over those quickly. Okay. Management uh, CEO is a philanthropist. He nice. regularly donates great large amounts of money to charity, and he ran drug ran a billion dollar drug company for 30 years prior to starting cardio therapy that's some pretty good experience and finally their margin of error their stock is currently trading at five dollars and 70 cents which i think okay. is massively undervalued mm-hmm. um great example three to get three days ago is at three dollars and 90 cents mm. it has almost doubled in the last three days yeah so i'm looking at this stock and i think that it's a really good pick i'd like to know your opinion so off of its meaning moat and management it sounds like a pretty solid start um for sure the as for the numbers itself i can't say um where where its fair value is because i mean its fair value could be 50 bucks so it could be like super undervalued right but its fair value could be just 10 bucks maybe it's only undervalued by maybe it's only got a 50 percent return in it who knows um i can't say where its fair value at is at um, and so the way to find that would be using the formula and chase, I'll, I'll send you a link or something to a calculator that you could potentially use just to figure this out because it's been a while since I've done it by hand, but I think I found a formula or a calculator online that crunches yeah. that number, um, automatically, which I think is pretty cool. And, it, um, we could potentially drop it into the podcast show notes, like the link to it or whatever, if you guys are interested in it as well. Um, all that said, I think that is a good startup company. That's a good example. Um, for example, a stock like GME or GME, aka GameStop, potentially would fail the meaning category <laughs> for a couple people. For I guess most people are into gaming, but really no one's going into a physical store to buy games anymore. Um, which I feel like is a big aspect of that meaning thing. Are you active in that company in some way or in that company's space? GameStop relies a lot on physical stores. Most people aren't going into physical stores. Um, the moats, it's got a lot of its moats destroyed, just to be honest. Um, you might be buying it for the brand or the experience, but not a whole lot else because you can get online for same price or cheaper. Online quicker. shopping is pretty much done GameStop in. Right. And then it's management. I don't know who the management is. Um, they're probably, they've got a really tough ship to handle here so um i gotta be honest i would not want to be gamestop ceo right now man i wouldn't I either 
don't so, know what you'd do. I don't know what kind of CEO would be enthused to work for GameStop. Um, so I'd yeah. imagine he's not like a top tier CEO. That's not nothing against him. I don't know him personally. I don't even know his name. Um, but management could be, I mean, who knows? Maybe if they have incredible management, there's some way to turn the company around. But all that to say, those three, they, they kind of, GameStop approaches those three, first three M's pretty weakly. Yes. Um, of course, it's an anomaly in how investors' sentiment and emotion drove the price up an incredible, an incredible amount. But most of it was based off pure speculation. Yes. Um, which is a quick way to make some money, but also a very, very quick way to lose a lot of money. Um, so I'm just comparing those two companies, the one Chase was talking about and GameStop. One has some pretty strong fundamentals to it. Another probably doesn't. Um, so yeah, Chase, that's a pretty good example. And, uh, we can look more into it later off, yeah, man. off podcast, but yeah. Um, so yeah, I know we're running a little long here. We're approaching 40 minutes for this episode. So I do want to work on wrapping this thing up. I hope that me and Terry were able to provide some insight for anyone who's listening to this. I hope that you guys able to go out there and maybe start your own investment accounts pick some of your own companies mm-hmm. if you listen to this fast stuff maybe maybe you'll buy cardio i don't know mm-hmm. um but steals idea <laughs> <laughs> but actually hope... if you're investing in this later you buy in so chase can sell to you mm-hmm, mm-hmm, guys but, no, buy cardio buy cardio all right <laughs> i'm telling you i'll tell you it's great it's great terry is this going when's this coming out and you're saying we should endorse it so so you can make a quick buck here? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to push this out to our massive audience, okay? Mm-hmm. Our humongous audience uh, rivaling bigger than the that. Rocks. What? I said bigger than the rocks. Yes, we're rivaling Oprah over here. Um, push it out to our audience. And then by the time that they all hear this, um, they're going to go buy it. I've already bought it for like a year, all right? We're not pushing this out till next year. That's I've decided. And... <laughs> And then I'm going to be able to do a pump and dump scheme and make millions. Millions, Terry. Now you might want to look up the uh, Warren Buffett quote on reputation. All right. Well, Terry, it's been awesome recording this episode with you yeah, guys. I hope we helped out. Terry, is there anything else you want to say before we roll on out of here? No, I think that's, I think that's the gist of it. Um, obviously, we, we went over a lot of words and numbers and interest, like, you know, stock market lingo or whatever you want to yep. call it pretty quickly here. If you're feeling overwhelmed, just start simple. Just open a basic brokerage account. Your parents will be more than happy to help you because this is all probably a foreign world to them as well. So they're going to be open to learning more about it with you. And maybe just get started with a really basic index fund. If you're just feeling overwhelmed, get started with something easy, simple, makes a steady return. Most people can't beat the return without a lot of effort and work put in. And um, that's just an easy way to get started. However, if you're a true nerd and you're loving all this, uh, reach out to us if you want more details join the uh, check up on Freedom discord yeah of course um there actually is a good way i'll help you one-on-one analyze things and answer all your questions just you can also FYI. join his valorant streams absolutely <laughs> Eat some butt, ranking up a bit uh yeah, but exactly. then check out phil town's content he's got some good stuff you want to learn more and with that that's all the stuff i've got to say all right so. well hope this is helpful to everyone listening and hope you have a wonderful rest of your day Darryl, see, you. see you later man Thank you for listening to the Teen Financial Freedom Podcast. We would greatly appreciate it if you could subscribe, leave a review, and share this with someone who needs it.